going to teach tonight briefly. I'm just going to read through this so that I don't have a lot of commentary. But I felt impressed of the Lord to establish this word in our ears and in our spirit. Somebody say amen. Part of the enemy's attack is always to make you misunderstand or misinterpret your identity. Because if he can rob you of your identity, he can rob you of your purpose. And if he can rob you of your purpose, he can rob you of your destiny. Somebody say amen. And then you wind up living life as a shell of what you actually should be and could be. And you wander aimlessly through life without any real focus or direction. It's like any dad will do you. Anything that tickles your fancy, you'll latch on to it. But when you understand your calling, your purpose, your assignment, and your destiny, you can't be moved. When you know who you are, you cannot be persuaded to be something else. And so one of the hugest attacks of the enemy, he did it with the Lord Jesus Christ when he led him, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted, and he does it to us. He did it in the garden when he whispered in the ear of Eve came as a serpent, tricked her into thinking he had been elevated in the heavenly hierarchy. And he began to whisper something into her ear that although she immediately recognized that it contradicted what God had said, it still sounded good enough for her to follow it. And so we have to recognize, Sharid, that the biggest attack of the enemy is always going to be against your identity. He said to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was naturally hungry, if you be the son of God, perhaps he questioned in that moment whether or not he was. Because he was subjected to 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. The scripture says it was after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights that the enemy came. That's 40 days of no nourishment, no nutrients, nobody patting you on the back, no miracles, no preaching. Perhaps he never experienced the anointing during those 40 days. We don't know his psychological construct after 40 days of fasting, but that's when the enemy appeared to say, if you be the son of God. And so we have to recognize the plan of the enemy, the strategy of the enemy, and then we have to be armed to overcome what his strategy is going to be because it doesn't change. The Bible says, and I think somebody just preached it, uh, Prophet Elijah, that the people that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. You got to know. Somebody say, I got to know. It can't be a touch and go situation. It can't be something that you are uncertain of. It can't be something that you're only certain of when you're around us. It can't be something that you're only connected to when you're in church. But you have to know who you are. Somebody say, I know who I am. I'm going to teach this a little bit so that you all can understand the direction of where we're going. I felt impressed of the Lord to reestablish a premise upon which we are building the Ecclesia. Because it's important that you all recognize if you have not awakened to this reality, we are not church as usual. We are not a normal church and we are not doing this church thing for the sake of just doing church. Somebody say amen. All right. We're not doing it just for the sake of we ain't got nothing else to do on a Wednesday night. But we are building something and there is a strategy, there is an assignment, there is a destiny, there is a destination, there is a purpose, there is a calling, I'm giving the baby time, there is a mandate, there is a reason for why we are here doing the things that we are doing. Somebody say amen. And if you don't know it, then you can't execute it. 
I only heard one amen, one that's right, and one nod. I said, if you don't understand it, you cannot execute it. If you don't understand the calling that's on this church, if you don't understand the calling that's on your leader, if you don't understand what's being built in you, then you'll never have any command over it. You'll just be walking around like a fly on the wall looking for some poop to land on. Huh? Because that's where the flies are. If you have animals, or what, hopefully, hopefully you're not pooping, but if you have animals, you see flies flying around the poop. They're attracted to poop because they don't have the sense of what they should be doing and their sense of purpose. That's metaphoric. Somebody say amen. Perhaps their purpose is to be on poop. Your purpose is not to be attracted to poop. And when people don't know their identity, they're attracted to poop. They go to churches that smell like poop. Huh? That's not an elitist mentality, but it is a reality that we are dealing with that there is, listen to me, y'all, we are in a generation of apostasy where people are defecting from the faith. What does that mean? It means they are not really Christian. They are not really saved. And some of them are our pastors. Some of them are preaching to us. I said to my wife the other day, I think we should take an inventory and a poll to figure out how many of these people who are preaching every week are actually educated in something outside of their opinion. No understanding of the scripture, no understanding of the times and the seasons. No one educated has put anything in you, but we got to listen to you every single week. It's a scary predicament. Someone say amen. So say, I know my identity. Y'all got to know your assignment. Somebody say amen. Now, I'm old school. Now, when the preacher get up, you can't be walking around. Now, that's, I'm old school. Somebody say old school. All right. Ministry technicians, amen. Y'all recall, the, recall that. Huh? Say, we don't, we don't walk during the preaching here. I got to go. Okay, get your bag so you don't got to keep coming back and forth. God bless you. Have a good, did you give your offering? That's how we do it. Okay. Right? Acts 26 and 12 gives us the praxis of apostleship. All right? Say, this is an apostolic church. Get that language in your spirit, get it in your mind, and be comfortable with the ideology that you are an apostolic people. And we understand it and we teach it, not denominational apostolic, right? It's not just because we baptize in Jesus' name, which we do baptize in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. I know some of y'all are Baptists and some of y'all came from the church of God in Christ, but we do it in Jesus' name over here. Huh? Because that's the, that's the revelation that we understand the scripture to say. But as long as you get baptized, somebody said, just put me in the water. Right? But we're not apostolic by denomination. We are apostolic by mandate. We believe in the first century church's blueprint for Christianity. We believe in the doctrine of the apostles. And we believe that our church, that the Ecclesia, that Ecclesia Global has to be founded on the doctrine of what Christ's apostles established through the scripture. That's what makes us apostolic in commission and in our understanding. Somebody say, we are apostolic. You may not have to put on a doily, but you do have to really have the spirit of Christ in you. Because my travail is to make sure that Christ is formed in you. That's apostolic. Somebody say, amen. While thus occupied... As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. This is the apostle Paul before he is converted into Paul. So he is not the apostle in this context. He is still Saul. 
And he is so irate with this new ideology called the way Jesus Christ and his followers. And he is completely irate at the fact that this movement is gaining momentum. As far as he knows and understands, Jesus Christ has been crucified and has died. They're walking around claiming that there was a resurrection, but he's not 100 percent certain of that. But what he is certain of is um, the foundations of his Judaic belief. He is certain of his Hebrew uh, nationalism and he is certain of what he has been convinced of in the Torah and in the Talmud and in all of the other books that, you, that the Jews subscribe to. Somebody say amen. And so because of that, he gets authorization to kill anybody who is connected with the Lord Jesus Christ in his movement. He has permission from the chief priest to do a mass shooting. He has authority. This is as if, imagine if the chief bishop, the chief apostle, the chief of state gives you authorization that says anybody you see who bears the name of Jesus Christ, you can kill them on the spot without fear of any retribution. That is what Paul had. And as he was on his way, wake up, Dewberry, he was on his way to execute this calling that he received to kill and persecute the people that were of the way. Guess what happens? The Lord Jesus Christ appears to him. Now, I'm going to tell you this because he said, I was along the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. It is important that you recognize that if you get to have a visitation and that's not something that you can manipulate. It's not something that you can make happen. It's not something that you can fast and happen. I know people who have fasted for 40 days, 80 days, 120 days. Jesus, they never showed up. You cannot twist God's arm for visitation. But if you ever have a visitation of Christ, the first thing you you will see is his light because his light is the reflection and the emanation of the purity and the soundness and the power of his righteousness he is absolute exquisite purity in all ways so when he reveals himself, the first thing that your natural mind, if your natural mind is even connected to the experience, the first thing you see is purity in light, a light that you cannot even describe. I saw what Paul saw, so I understand the visitation. Somebody say amen. He said that then he fell to the ground. They all fell to the ground. Even the people who did not see the visitation or the emanation of Christ, they were still overcome and knocked to the ground. And he said, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the gold. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, he didn't think he was persecuting Jesus. He was killing the errant followers. Can I interject something here? Because I am a student of religion and philosophy from an accredited college. Somebody say accredited. Accredited by the U.S. Department of Education. Somebody say Amen. We got more doctors and lawyers and all this stuff that went to somebody's Bible. I can't call myself doctor if I can't sit at a table with people with doctorate degrees and understand their language. Go to your Bible school, get your Bible school education, whatever, but please go get an education if that's what your intention is to do. Somebody say amen. And I messed my point up. Student of religion and philosophy. And I learned that there is something called the Talmud. Someone say the Talmud. 
It is the Jewish book of history. It is literally the book that contains all of their historical records. So I'm talking about if there was something dated to 200 years BC in the Talmud, it keeps that historical chronicle. Somebody say amen. It is the book that is used today in any and every Orthodox Jewish synagogue. It is their primary mode of teaching and instructing and perpetuating the ideology of Judaism. It is the curriculum. Somebody say the curriculum for every rabbi who is an official Jewish rabbi. That's another story. You just call yourself a rabbi and just, you know. Let me just tell you how particular they are about rabbis. There are stores in New York where the rabbis shop. You can't even walk in the door if you're not an official rabbi. Because I was going in there to get me a hat. <laughs> the lady said, no, sir, you can't come in here. I said, why not? It says open. She said, you are not a rabbi. This store is exclusively for our rabbis. I said, oh, okay. So in the Talmud, somebody said, it's rude. That's all right. I respected it. I respected the honor they put on their rabbis. And then I shirked at how many of us walk around calling ourselves that. In the Talmud, there is a historical recollection of the trial of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know what they believe and what they teach in the Talmud? That Jesus Christ was a sorcerer and a heretic. It's chronicled. Yet the Christians sympathize with Jews and we think they're God's people. Christians worship Israel, not realizing that the Bible indicates that those who are of the faith are the true house of Israel. All right, let me keep going because I don't lost half of the congregation. They believe in Judaism. I'm talking about the people that y'all see walking around with their tallit on and their hats on. They don't drive after sundown on Friday because it goes into the Sabbath. So you see them walking everywhere. They don't cook. They don't clean. They don't do laundry because it's their holy day. Have you ever been around a whole bunch of of, of the Jewish people? And this is not anti-Semitic. Have you ever been around them? Do you feel the presence of the Lord? Scary, isn't it? How people can devote 14 hours a day to studying his book and you can't find him when you see them. Somebody say identity. Identity. You cannot worship an ideology that excludes you from Christ's inheritance because you have been engrafted in him by his blood. You cannot look at somebody who calls your Lord a sorcerer and a heretic and exalt their station in your faith higher than yours. I sat down with a couple of Jews in Walgreens. This school that is over here on Norton Street is one of the premier rabbinic training schools in this world. People come to that school from all over the world to be trained to be a rabbi. I met three of the guys in Walgreens and we had a talk. I said, so what do y'all really believe about Jesus? (laughs) He laughed. He said, we can't tell you that. I said, no, 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 no. We got time. (laughs) 
know who you are. Are you God's people? Are you really God's? Do you really belong to him? Are you really convinced and convicted of that truth? Or is there somebody that you think has a greater connection to him than you? Is there somebody else that you think is the apple of his eye beyond you? You cannot have a conflict with your own identity and execute your call. You can't do it because the first button the devil's going to hit every time you enter into psychological warfare is he's going to make you question who you really are. See, you're a prophet all day until you get into warfare. Then you don't know who you are. I can't get help. You a Christian all day. You a warrior all day. You shout your shoes off and your wig off in every service until a trial comes. Then all of a sudden you get amnesia and you backslide and go into sin. Why? Because you don't have a sense of your identity. You're perpetrating and faking the funk. You got to know who you really are. You got to know who you are before the warfare comes. If Jesus Christ was not convinced that he was the incarnation of the almighty God, Satan may have won in that temptation. He knew that he didn't have to bow down to him in the temptation because everything Satan was offering him was already his. And he understood that. But what happens when you get into the test and you don't know the answer? Y'all can't be weak. Can I talk to y'all? Is it, can, we, can, we do it, can we do it like this? Y'all can't be weak because of where you go to church. You can't be a punk and you can't be a sorry excuse for a Christian sitting under this teaching. I'm not exalting myself, but I preach to the best of my ability, the full counsel of God. I preach the doctrine of the scripture. I teach the doctrine of Christ to the best of my ability. And not one of you have an excuse to stand before God and say, I didn't know what you required. Not one. Not one of you can stand before the Lord. If God forbid you hear the words, depart from me, you work of of iniquity, I never knew you. You will not have a justifiable reason for why he should keep you. Because you know, this word that I preach has to come to me before it can get through me. So that means that this same word has to work on me. Come on, the devil is a lie. Just because I hear it don't mean it's already perfected in me. I got to work it out just like you got to work it out. But we work it out together. When he says line up, we all got to line up from the top to the bottom. That's why preachers fail because they forget that they need the same righteousness that they preach to the people. They think they're exempt from the sword of the Lord. No, cut me because I can't preach to others and then become a castaway. Cut me if you got to cut me. Deliver me if you got to deliver me. Set me free if you got to set me. As a matter of fact, let me get in this room and shut the door and let me press into your presence until I feel free enough to preach what I just heard. Identity. Because Satan will make you think, Elder Maurice, because you have failed that you've been disqualified. Satan will convince you that because you tripped up that somehow God is no longer anointing you. But the devil is a lie. What the devil has to recognize is that there is a clause of redemption that as long as I open my mouth with a contrite heart and confess my thoughts. Oh, come on, somebody act like you know what I'm talking about. The Bible says there's an advocate that is with the Father. If I confess my thoughts, he is faithful and just to forgive all sins and then to cleanse me from all unrighteousness so you can't talk to me devil 
about my identity just because you lost your seat. Because I am. Come on, y'all. I hear it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not through any good of my own, but because of his blood, because of his salvation, because of his mercy. I am who I am by the grace of the living God. So you don't have to walk around with an identity crisis not knowing who you are because some witch sent a threat. Because some witch sent a threat. Don't be like Elijah running in a cave. You better think back to the victory at Mount Carmel. You just slew 850 false prophets. You just called down fire from heaven. I don't know who I'm preaching to. When the Jezebel starts to send the threat, say the devil is a lie. I'm not going in no cave. I'm not having no identity crisis. I'm not having an inferiority complex. I know exactly who I am. I am Elijah who stands in the presence of the Most High God. I am the one who called down fire from heaven. You better know who I am. Acts 26. So, so why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goal. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. Somebody say for this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Watch this because this is the crux of every apostolic ministry's commission. To open their eyes. Somebody say to open their eyes. Have you seen something you never saw before? Since you've been here. Huh? Have you heard something in the word that although it had been preached to you for most of your life, you heard it and saw it in a brand new light? The job of apostleship is to remove the blinder off of your eyes. What does that mean? It means you can be going through all these motions. You can be going through all these cycles and rituals and still be blind as a bat. You can be on time for church but can't see. You can serve in your department and can't see. But when you really get under the auspices of this anointing, what happens? It is to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. From darkness what? To light. You can't exist in the kingdom of darkness and be connected to an authentic apostolic house. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel like every sermon is about you. No, it's not about you. It's about the darkness in you. It's about the kingdom of darkness that you keep tiptoeing in every time we walk out of the church. That's what makes you uncomfortable. It's not that I'm preaching and I know your business, whether I know it in the spirit or not. It's the word that's coming to pierce the darkness. To turn them from darkness into what? To light. And from the power of Satan to God. What does that mean? He's not, he's talking about believing people. That are under the control of satanic power. You can't be in an authentic apostolic anointing and not get delivered. Yeah. 
Now, if you pick your demons up when you walk out the door, that's your own affair because seven more are waiting for you. It's better that you not be delivered at all than to play with it. Y'all not saying nothing. And then go back out and do the same thing. You got to let deliverance be deliverance because the condition will be worse. He said seven times more that when a demon leaves a house, he finds it swept nice and clean and put back in order. So he says, I'm going to go find seven demons more wicked than me. What does that mean? That means there are stages of wickedness. You might start out with one level, but if you keep pushing into it, y'all not saying it. We talk about going to another level in glory. Well, there's another level in wickedness. And eventually you get to the point that your conscience gets seared like a hot iron. And you no longer can reason within yourself according to light. Because you start to see darkness as light and cannot decipher between the two. How great, the scripture says, is that darkness. When the darkness in you, you call it light. An apostolic ministry has to convert you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From the power of Satan unto the power of God. That's why demons have to be cast out in this kind of church. Y'all not saying it. And all your demons, all your little demons went to hiding. Huh? You can't be a believer and be possessed, but you can be oppressed. You can be a conduit. You can open up doors and let them boogers ride up in here on you. Yes, you can. You can sit up here with a stank spirit and be a demonic gate the whole service. Yes, you can. I don't know why I'm in warfare mode. I'm in warfare mode. Huh? Because the enemy's agenda is to undermine and sabotage everything God is doing. And he does it by stealth. He does it with a whisper. He does it with a conversation. He does it with a bastard and renegade spirit talking in your ear when you should have enough sense not to listen to him because their life has never produced anything. How are they going to counsel you? You telling me what to do and your credit score 430. Won't you work on a calendar paying your bills on time first? He said, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. I'm going to say to open their eyes. It has to produce the awareness of things that you have not, that have been in front of your face that you have never seen. He didn't say that he was bringing them into something that wasn't there. He was opening their eyes so that they can see what was there. It's already been there. Somebody say it's already there. In order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, watch this, that they may receive what? The forgiveness of sins. You mean to tell me that this is such a great salvation? That after you've opened my eyes and turned me from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that part of this salvation is that you forgive my sin? Somebody say, what a great salvation. See, maybe you didn't sin enough for the forgiveness to matter. Huh? That's not licensed to go out and get some more sins under your belt. Some people say, I ain't got no testimony. Let me go get one. No, 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 no. Not today. He ain't winking no more. Don't do it today. He's not winking now. You should have did that in the 70s. 
Demon, let me go test it out. You should have tested out in the disco era where he was just winking at everything. He's not winking. He's not winking. He's making us accountable. Y'all know, I know it's not, I know, I know it's tight. I know, I know, breathe. He's holding us accountable for the things that we have done when we've transgressed his law. Huh? Some stuff you got to live out. But he's still merciful. Somebody say he's merciful. Okay? That they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This ministry has got to connect you to God's inheritance that's already in you. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know the power that's in you. You've got to know the gifts that's in you. You've got to know the graces that are upon your life. You've got to know his purpose. You've got to know that you've been hardwired for victory. You've got to know his DNA that's in you. You've got to know his purpose. You've got to know his assignment. You've got to know what you are supposed to produce and manifest with your life. You've got to know it. Somebody say know it. God has a purpose for your life. That means you don't got to wander trying to figure out a purpose. And then make one up when you get frustrated that everybody else seems to have one and you don't. There's something written upon your heart that is his intention. Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I ordained you. Come on. It's written upon your life. And if it takes you your whole life to discover it, that means it was part of the plan. Because once you discover it, he's going to give you space to fulfill whatever it is. Come on, you don't got to feel like I'm too old to know my purpose. You better find your, if this word, if you can hear it, then you are young enough or old enough to know what it is and to manifest it. What is God's design for you? What did he make you for? What was he thinking when he created you? When he breathed life into that embryo at the moment of fertilization, what was the plan that was already inscribed upon that sperm and that egg? Before the gestation period could even start, he had a plan for you. Why were you born today instead of 80 years ago or 80 years from now? Because if he knew Jeremiah before he was formed in the womb, that meant he sent him in time at that time. He was created in where? Eternity. You were created in eternity so that means you don't even know how old you really are because you don't know at what moment in God's sphere of eternity he shaped you come on y'all you don't know you don't know the ancient wisdom that's actually inscribed upon your heart that he's waiting for you to tap into so that when you open your mouth you solve creation's problems creation is in travail waiting for the manifestation of the Those are the people that have his DNA, that are of his kind, that have his lineage, that are of his spirit. Creation is waiting. That means that there is a solution to creation's travail that only you can answer. Got to empower you to think outside of the box. Stop letting the devil whoop your behind. Some of y'all come in here look like rice have been warmed over three times.
Huh? Because you're in a war and you're letting the devil win because you refuse to stand up in who you actually are. You refuse to stand up in who you actually are. So you let the devil win in a battle that he's already lost. Next scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. That meant he was going off in the letters, but when he actually was there present with him, he was a little humble and meek. But I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. Can y'all listen to that language right quick? I didn't even mean to emphasize that. That's not in my notes to emphasize. Actually, none of this is in my notes to emphasize. I was supposed to just read those scriptures and then go through all my bullet points. I didn't get to the bullet points yet. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to his mind. Listen to the mind of the people that are receiving this letter from their apostle. He's saying, I'm pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to to the flesh. In other words, he's talking to these people saying, I'm about to show you who I really am. And he's saying, I'm hoping that I don't have to go there and go off on some of y'all. That's literally what he's saying. That doesn't give preachers license to cuss everybody out. That's the new wave. Everybody, that's not what that is. But listen to the mentality where he says, I'm hoping that I don't got to be bold against the ones that I'm coming there planning to be bold against since they think of me as a mere mortal. As if our warfare was just carnal. Is that what he said? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, everybody in here knows the Greek word for warfare. What is it? It is strategia. By definition, which is a militaristic campaign or expedition of what? Apostolic war. He's saying there is a warfare that is germane to the apostolic people. That nobody outside of this sphere understands it. We got our own word and our own job description for what we do. Are y'all listening? You can't jump ship because hell broke loose. Not when you're anointed to deal with hell. Not when you're anointed to put hell in its place. Not when you've been authorized to make the devil behave. What happens when the people that have power to stop the onslaught of the enemy run when the enemy shows up? When you have the authority, it's hard, it's far-fetched. I can feel it, I feel the gap, I feel the gap. Fill the gap. Because we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't believe 
that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have power over the enemy. We believe he's supposed to have the upper hand. Because if we don't, we wouldn't permit it. How long do you let the enemy ride you before you put him in his place? Just think about it. Just think. Just think. For real. I want you to think. Real life thinking. That's the kind of chat we're having tonight. Think. How long does the enemy get to work his plan on you and through you before you recognize who you are and put him in his place? How long do you get to be depressed before the joy of the Lord becomes your strength again? Oh, God. I know it's too much. I understand. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our strategia are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds? Places of fortified thinking. It is the prevailing thought over a region or over a people. What is the prevailing thought here? Oh, yeah. He said high intelligence. He said pride. He said lofty thinking. That's the stronghold here. Right? Everybody knows it. I was watching a television program and they were talking about people in the Northeast. They said, oh, yeah, because in the Northeast, it's high thought. They actually use the word high thought. People in other parts of our country, I think that person was from Iowa or Idaho or something, they understand that there's a stronghold here of intellectualism. What's the problem with it? Because it's when the intellectualism becomes a vain imagination that wars against the knowledge of Christ. So God will say one thing, but your intellectual thought will tell you something completely different. Do you know most of my warfare is with how people think? Most of my counseling and warfare is about how people think. It's the construct that they came to me with. That's not according to truth. So I'm warring to get them to see it through the lens of truth instead of their pathology for how they think. What does he say? Casting down arguments and every high thing that does what? Exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, every single thought, every prevailing idea, bringing it captive to the obedience of Christ. That means that we can never use the excuse that society is doing it. So we get to do it. Culture's doing it. So we get to do it. They are doing it. So we get to do it. They're not doing it. So why do I have to do it? Every thought, when you get this level of truth that you're exposed to, you now have to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What did Christ's obedience look like? It looked like death on a cross. Can you subject your idea? This is not just random thoughts. This is intellectual rationale and construct. What you believe, the believing thoughts that drive your life. Can you bring your belief systems into obedience to Christ? That's what this is all about. That's what our church is all about. That's what Ecclesia Global is all about. It's about building a people that God can literally put his governance upon. To fulfill his will. 
Are we that people? I got to go. Apostle in the Greek. Apostolos means an emissary, one who is sent off on an ambassage or mission. It typically involves one being sent with a message, but it also includes all of the dynamics of an ambassador or an envoy. Somebody say apostleship. An ambassador, an official envoy, especially a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. An ambassador is the highest ranking diplomat who represents a country or a sovereign. Ambassadors are the chief officers of embassies which governments place in the capitals of foreign countries. Ambassadors do not only exist in embassies, but also in business, in finance, in charities, and in other organizations. According to E-Diplomat, an ambassador is the chief of a diplomatic mission, the ranking official diplomatic representative of his country to the country to which he is accredited, and the personal representative of his own head of state to the head of state of the host country. So when you think about the apostolic, and I'm going to stop. Y'all can play something. When you think about the apostolic, mission, mandate, office, officer, people, you've got to recognize the governmental station that apostleship has to occupy for the kingdom of God. What's the difference between an apostle and a bishop? Everything that I just read. An apostle is a diplomatic agent of the Godhead assigned to a sphere who leads an embassy the embassy has a charge to represent the sending sovereigns culture country government and ways to that place and to that people what does that mean in english the apostolic house is heaven's embassy in the earth and has the responsibility of saturating and colonizing the earth with all of the particulars of the kingdom of heaven. We are the people who exemplify his governance and government and lordship. We exemplify the culture of the kingdom. We exemplify the ways of the kingdom, the powers of the kingdom, the protocols of the kingdom, the authority of the kingdom. That's our assignment in the earth. We exercise his dominion so that in our sphere, everybody around us knows how real he actually is. See, it was important to Jesus that his apostles' shadows could heal because they had to manifest the supremacy of his kingdom and message over everything that they were confronting. Our shadows still need to heal. It was important that they had power in their hands to heal the sick and to cast out devils because they had to exemplify the supremacy of Christ's name over all the power of the enemy y'all that's not church as usual that's not just coming to church and singing and putting on your hat 
that's not just preaching your best sermon and trying to get a gig huh it's recognizing that there's a kingdom in you that's only in you because it needs expression through you that kingdom is the realm of his sovereignty and rule that kingdom is the realm of his dominion and his absolute power and authority. That kingdom is the realm of his omnipotence. And if it doesn't flow through the people who carry the kingdom, then the earth has no chance. That's why apostolic Christians are not just religious Christians. Because you can go through all the motions of religiosity and never come to truth. You can go through all of these motions and never actually know him or encounter him or experience him. It's important. That's why I say y'all need to stay awake in church. You want to know why? Because the only thing sitting on you making you sleep right now is some kind of generational curse that doesn't want to let you go. Because I'm doing warfare. I'm in warfare mode. stand I got a lot more to say these definitions alone of ambassadorship of the envoy of the apostle take apostleship out of the realm of religion out of the realm of ecclesiastical structure and church activity Apostleship is connected to God's position as the sovereign of his own nation, the governor of all of creation and the guardian of all things. The apostle is an ambassador, a diplomat, a deputy, or an envoy who is the representative of the sending agent, principal, or the sovereign who employed them. So in their sphere, in the realm of their jurisdiction, in the realm of their influence, which includes geographical land space within certain boundaries and also the people. In that sphere, the apostle is the representation of God's government, the chief official to enact and legislate what he has commanded, and the facilitator charged with carrying out his missions that they themselves embody. That's apostleship. The bishop is an ecclesiastical chief. The bishop is the ecclesiastical head in a pecking order of religious hierarchy. Biblically speaking, the apostles were very busy apostolizing and so they would be gone on envoys and ambassadors for months at a time. So historically and biblically speaking, the apostles put bishops in place to administrate the church while they were out gaining ground and territory. The bishops were only substitutes for when the apostles were absent because when they came back, they assumed their places. Church history, not God's blueprint, has made the bishop the chief and the head of all things. So this is why I opted to become a bishop. Because if you desire the bishopric, you desire a good thing. Doesn't mean you're called to it. If you have a desire, you can desire to be a car. 
Don't mean we can put gas in you and you go vroom, vroom, vroom. But in my apostleship, because I know that I'm assigned to the sphere of religion, I opted to allow them to confer on me the bishopric so that I could enter in either way. Oh, you don't respect people that are apostles? Fine, then I'll be the presiding bishop today. With apostolic succession, which means my consecration is traced back to one of the original 12 apostles through the lineage, unbroken, if that's your forte. But if that doesn't matter to you, then I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a representative of the Godhead and a diplomat of the kingdom of God assigned to the earth. Raising up an apostolic people who understand that their call is warfare and dominion. Whichever way you want to go, we can go. As long as the job gets done. You're not weak people. You all are not weak people. You're not weak people. Because people that are weak could not have survived the things that I know most of you have survived. Things that I know you have been through. I know it. I don't need a prophetic word to know it. It's written on your heart. Regular people, weak people, could not survive the things that you had to thrive in. So you're peculiar. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. You are abnormally his with a unique assignment to the earth to manifest his glory. I'm done. There's a philosophy, a philosophical ideology about seven mountains and that in every society, no matter what it is, whether it is a civilized society or not, that these seven spheres exist in every society. Y'all know what they are. If you don't, Google it. Let's see if we can get all seven. Church, family, business and commerce, government, media, and entertainment are the same. Education, I said family. I'm always missing one. Government, I said government. Let's do it again. Government. Education, family, religion, media, uh, economy, finance and economy, and military. There has to be a military force. Seven mountains. Religion or ritual and worship is just one of the mountains. That's the bishop's job. To preside and administrate over ecclesiology and things that pertain to the church, to the religion, to the worship, to the ritual. An apostle has to have dominion in all seven spheres. See the difference? So that means we have to develop education that indoctrinates the earth with God's theology and his idea. We've got to enter into finance so that we can take the mountain of finance. We've got to enter into media to subdue the princes or the prince and the power of the heir that uses media as his prophet. 
We've got to infiltrate media. That's why you can't just post anything on social media. Not if you're apostolic. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Whose agenda are you pushing? It's my wall. Okay. Blocked. Because I just... That's your little, piece of, your little piece of the universe. God has called you to have dominion over spheres and you're worrying about a little wall that only 50 people look at. I say things like that to jar you, to get you to think different. To get you to think different about it. Does it work? You have to have dominion over all of the spheres. We got to deal with family. We got to deal with family units. What is God's idea for the family? And how do we portray that? Husbands, you got to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, according to the, to the scripture, you got to submit to your husband. But if your husband's loving you like Christ loved the church, you don't have an issue submitting to your husband. Then the Bible says, submit ye one to another. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Parents, provoke not your children to wrath. You can't beat that H-E, glory to God, out of your children all the time and expect them to respect you. They're going to hate you because your discipline provokes them to wrath. Talk to them. Don't beat them. They're thinking people. Ask them what's going on with them. Why are you manifesting that trait? What's that all about? Come on, y'all. We never tried that. All you know is children to be seen and not heard and knock, knock them out. That's all you know. That's all you replicate. Not in today's society. That doesn't work. They got an iPad. It don't work now. It's not the same. It's not the same. Seven mountains. Seven spheres. We have to have a voice in government. I still think government and military together. Entertainment may be separate from media. I think that's where the seven is. Entertainment is separate from media. You gotta have a voice in entertainment. What does it look like when spirit-filled people are the people you see on your TV screen or on your Netflix show? Are y'all seeing the difference? We can be consumed with the church sphere for the rest of our lives and it'll be like spinning our wheels in the mud. Will we make it to heaven? If we live right, we will. But what an unproductive life that must be when you've been called to have dominion in every sphere. Father, I've done this to the best of my ability according to what I hear. Infuse the word in the hearts of your people. Let it grow up in them manifest your return because your word cannot return to you void it can't return to you void it's got to produce some 30 some 60 and some 100 fold father give them a 100 fold return on this deposit why are they here under this mandate make it plain to them make it clear to them Huh? Why are you here? Because the embassy needs a voice in government. Yeah. 
because you know what happens when you come here and you sit under this word and you get in this atmosphere of breakthrough and God starts to deal with you and speak to you and open up your faculties and cause you to see and perceive things according to the lens of the kingdom when you sit across the table from the mayor what you bring is the atmosphere of what you've been imparted what's been imparted in you and then you begin to talk to them out of a kingdom paradigm they didn't even see it coming next thing you know the kingdom of God is established in the sphere of government then when you wind up in DC you bring that same atmosphere that same anointing those same angels of breakthrough y'all think breakthrough is about getting the UI bill paid it ain't about that you bring those same angels and you walk in that room they don't even see it coming and they don't know that an ambassador of the kingdom has shown up that's full of God's potent force to affect change in a system that needs deliverance prophet Michael is dealing with the sphere of finance all because of a word that became flesh in him something he had never considered and the word of the Lord came and it came to pass just as the word announced it why because God needs a prophetic anointing dealing with money on a federal level are you the only one absolutely not but you are one huh you're definitely one and the decisions you're making are based on a paradigm of the kingdom that's already built in you as a construct. Your judgments are established by truth. How you move in the earth is established by his righteousness. That's what God meant when he said you're the salt of the earth. You're the seasoning every place where he sends you. But what happens when the salt has been trampled underfoot? Y'all can't let the devil trample you underfoot. You got to be salty that has the savor. So Father, make us salt again. Salting us up. Season us up. So like a little bit of salt on a good piece of steak at Ruth's Chris will melt in somebody's mouth. Let our seasoning in creation be exactly what you need to produce your result in your harvest. Come on, I hear this. This is an apostolic people being raised up. It's an apostolic people. Don't play with your destiny after today. Make your mind up. If you didn't hear nothing else I said, make your mind up. You're not going to play with your destiny. You're not going to play with your assignment. You're not going to play with your purpose. You're not going to play with your identity. I'm pleading with you to know who you are. Know it. So you can carry it. Father, thank you for this house. Thank you for the blessing of the Lord that rests upon this house in an unusual way. Thank you for this divine visitation of your spirit tonight. Thank you for healing our bodies. Thank you for insulating our purpose and our destinies. Thank you for extending our lives. Thank you for giving us strength to fulfill what you have charged us to do. Thank you, Father, that you talk to us through dreams and visions, that you open our ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Thank you that there's a heavy and potent prophetic anointing on this house, that these people hear your voice. 
you that you lead us and guide us by your truth and by your spirit. We give you praise. We give you glory. And we give you honor. And we call it done in Jesus' name. I want you to love somebody today on your way out. You got to put a mask on, put it on, but just love somebody because they need it. Love is healing. That's the benediction, y'all. Baptism for